You're listening to the Afternoon Asks and D Squad ND for Neurodivergent with Sarah, Jay, and Fran. Jay is Canadian, bringing up her ND family in Australia and is late diagnosed autistic. Fran hails from Germany and is ADHD autistic. Sarah is British Chinese and part of a mixed NTND family. Standing up for representation, breaking down stereotypes and challenging ableist perceptions, we're here to discuss all kinds of neurodivergencies in Asian dramas with a dose of scientific research and our own lived experience sprinkled on top. Hope you enjoy. Hi, everyone. Hello. Annyeong. Hello. Dajahao. Hi. Dajahao. Hello. Okay, so welcome back to the Afternoon ND podcast. Um, At the time of recording, it's still the beginning of January. And by the time this will be released, we'll have had the Chinese New Year too. So it's only fitting to wish everyone a very happy new year now. Happy New Year. Happy New Year. Happy New Year. So we're so glad to have you here today and that we're able to continue with this little pod in 2024. This has been an episode many months in the planning and it's finally here and we're going to cover the sea drama The Untamed. Sarah, who's usually with us, won't be joining us today, but instead we've invited a few guests along with Jay and myself who are eager to be part of this and I want to say a big thank you to you at this point that um, you're all making time to join us for today's discussion as we are once again spread out over several continents. Um, It was, as always, a little bit tricky to find a time where everyone's awake. So everyone joining from New Zealand and Australia is currently just trying to wake up with some coffee and everyone from Europe is trying to not fall asleep. So it's going to be grand. So um, today we're discussing Lan Wangji, also known as Lan Zhan, from The Untamed as an autistic coded character. For those of you who haven't joined us on any previous podcasts, just going to quickly repeat what we mean by autistic coded. So autistic coded means a character who's either intentionally or unintentionally written in such a way that they exhibit many characteristics and traits of being autistic, even if they're not officially labeled as autistic. These are usually not just surface attributes, but a character whose worldview, their very being, the way they move through the world and experience and relate to everything around them is influenced by their autism. One of our favorite quotes from Krista Mullis is, for autistic fans, an autistic coded character is not merely a character they would like to be autistic or that they see a few sprinklings of autistic traits in, but one who's so obviously autistic, they must actually be autistic. And this is so important to many autistic people because representation matters. There's such poor representation out there based on stereotypes, purely pathological depictions and a denial of personhood. We need the public to be more aware and accepting of all the subtle and diverse ways autism can present. As Muller said, we need creators to be comfortable claiming the autistic label for their characters so that they no longer need the autistic coded but can just be autistic, full stop. For the podcast today, spoiled for choice in terms of the adaptations of this character, with there being a live action, an animated series, the original novel, a graphic novel, and audio dramas. We'll try to stick as much as possible to the representation in the live action or the C drama, 
But um, given that most of our group here today are really enthusiastic fandom nerds, not me, but everyone else, <laughs> we will mention probably accidentally or on purpose some aspects of Lan Wanji depicted in the other sources, especially the novel. But um, if we do, we will try and mention that it is from the novel as source material rather than the live action. Yeah, as always, this is not a spoiler-free podcast, so if you haven't watched the drama, we can only advise you to stop now and watch it first. We will definitely mention some major plot and character spoilers, and although we will try and make this episode as accessible as possible for everyone, it will be easier to follow if you have actually watched the drama. I am so excited about this. First, let me introduce our guests for this pod. I met the three of them through the Untamed Modao Zushi online fandom on the app, formerly known as Twitter, uh, well, maybe two years ago. And all of them are autistic and have always viewed Longwanji as autistic coded. And to emphasize their commitment to their meta-analysis of his character, all three are also fan fiction writers and so have given his representation as an autistic character significant thought. This has been an episode that we have discussed doing for quite a while now. And yeah, like my lovely co-hosts teased me a bit about, I fell into the rabbit hole. This might be an app pun for this fandom a few years ago and have yet to emerge. I know that there are many neurodivergent fans of Modao Tsushi and the Untamed out there. And for many of us, Lamanji is a beloved and treasured character. So let's get started. I'll let them introduce themselves. Hi, I'm Kay going by she, her pronouns. I'm from Australia and I fell into the Moda Zushi fandom via The Untamed in probably mid-2021. It quickly became my comfort show and I think I've watched it at least eight times. As you can imagine, the amount of re-watching has given me a lot of ideas for fan fiction writing and I think I've written about 14 published fics and countless thread fics so far, focusing on softer, fluffier themes including autistic La Monchi. Hi, I'm Jay. I use they, them pronouns. Uh, I'm from the UK and I got into the fandom in 2020, I think, after watching CQL for the first time. Uh, I've watched it seven or eight times and I come back to it frequently to rewatch because it's a great comfort show, which is very weird to say when you consider the level of angst. Uh, I, I've written 21 fics in the fandom. I literally had to double check. Um, that are actually published, and then probably a dozen or so that are in work-in-progress limbo. I'm actually obsessed enough that my two bunnies are named after the main character Swords, Suibian and Bichen. Uh, and we love their exploits on Twitter. That's fantastic. Uh, hello, I'm I'm paid, paid for subscription, uh, she, her. Uh, I'm from Aotearoa, New Zealand, and I also watched The Untamed in 2021, and then I read and watched all of MXTX's works afterwards. Uh, I've written 10 published books uh, across Heaven Officials Blessing and Untamed fandoms now, but I've also done mashups with Extraordinary Attorney Wu and The Good Place, and I'm working on some from the 911 and Marauder fandoms at the moment, um, so a bit of a fandom generalist. Um, I'll be chiming in a little later on in the author questions. So thank you so much, everyone. I think this is the highest um, number of autistic people we've had on this pod, which is... Um... Quite a, quite a fun thing. We're five people, you know. <laughs> I mean, if you get one autistic, we all just like kind of cluster. It's like a magnetic <laughs> effect. So it makes sense we're all here now. 
<laughs> okay, so we're going to start with a little bit of background knowledge that will give a bit more context to the live action drama and the constraints censorship in China put on the adaptation of the source material for the C drama. The Untamed is a 2019 Chinese xianxia drama directed by Zheng Weiwen and Chen Jialin and written by a team consisting of Yang Xia, Deng Yayu, Ma Jing and Guo Guanyun and produced by Tencent. It is based on the novel Moda Zushi by writer Mo Xiang Tongxu and stars Xiao Zhang and Wang Yibo as its main leads. The original novel in the Don Mei genre, it, so it's Chinese boys love, uh, with an explicit romance between the two main characters, but the live action adaptation was censored to conform with China's morality laws that include depiction of LGBTQIA plus characters on screen. In 2022, it hit 10 billion views in China alone. This was solely on the Tencent platform and does not count the number of international views from Netflix, Viki, Amazon Prime or YouTube. It turned its lead actors into global superstars almost overnight and it resulted in a subsequent special edition and two spin-offs. The economic effect of the series was astounding with Tencent earning hundreds of million yuan in profit from subscriptions pay to unlock bonuses and the live action broadcast tickets, sold out fan meetings and merchandise. I think one thing we should culturally note is in ancient Chinese culture, it was common for the gentry to have multiple names, at least for males. A birth name, a courtesy name, and in some cases, a title. Your birth name would be used by people very close to you, such as your family or childhood friends. And your courtesy name would be used by people who you knew but weren't necessarily close to. Your title would be used by anybody else. Your birth name and courtesy name were chosen by your family, but people generally chose their own titles. In the case of this show, however, Wei Wuxian and Lang Wangji's titles were chosen for them by others based on their reputations. The Yiling Laozu, Yiling being a town, and Laozu translating roughly to patriarch, and Hang Wangjun, light-bearing lord, respectively. For the sake of this podcast, we can use the characters' courtesy names, though, just to avoid too much confusion. So they will be Lan Wangji and Wei Wuxian. So a quick synopsis of um, the actual drama. So if you haven't watched it, this is definitely now the spoiler section. <laughs> so 16 years after the cultivation world celebrates his death, the cultivator and former Jiang disciple Wei Wuxian personal name Wei Ying, has his spirit unwillingly resurrected by the young and badly abused Mo Zhanyu, who sacrifices his soul so that Wei Wuxian carry out revenge on his behalf in exchange for his body. While embarking on this task, Wei Wuxian runs into friends and family from his past with generally unfavorable consequences. At this point, the series flashes back to his life 16 years ago when he met Lan Wangji, personal name Lan Zhan, during the summer lectures for cultivation disciples from the prominent clans. The story then follows both Lan Wangji and Wei Wuxian as they undertake a quest to try and stop the powerful Wen clan from using the dangerous Yin Iron to increase their power over the other clans. War breaks out. The losses are heavy and heartbreaking, and even the closest bonds of friendship and family are tested as the consequences of Wei Wuxian's choices play out, 
ultimately resulting in his death. After his spirit is brought back, due to the sacrifice summon spell we saw in episode one, he encounters old friends and rivals, including Lang Wanji, who he had built a close relationship with prior to his death. He and Lan Wanji set out to solve a complicated web of mysteries, and it soon becomes apparent that these current mysteries are tied to old wounds from the past. So, let's get into it. What immediately resonated for you with Lan Wanji as an autistic-coded character? Was there a scene that you watched and you said to yourself, oh, he's definitely autistic? Or did you notice it right away? Did you maybe know beforehand? Or did it take you a while to figure it out? I actually think that for me, this is becoming quite a difficult question. Not just because I watched the drama specifically for this podcast and obviously therefore knew already, but um, we've been discussing autistic coded characters for this pod for over a year now. And I feel like I'm so much more sensitive to it now than I was back then. You kind of start to see it everywhere. Um so to get some of the obvious character traits out of the way, there are quite a few social anxiety-related traits in his character. Like he hates crowds, avoids eye contact, hates being touched without permission, hates noise with, well, one exception. <laughs> um, he likes quiet places, enjoys meditating, calming music, finds pleasure in repetitive tasks like copying scripture, loves rules, doesn't have many friends, and doesn't engage in a lot of social interactions. So for me, it was incredibly obvious that he's autistic, but in a good way. We didn't get beaten on the, over the head with like the most horrible stereotypes, but um, got a quite, I don't know, quite nuanced and consistent performance by the actor who played Lang Wanji, which I really, really enjoyed. I think at the time I didn't immediately notice Lam Wangji as autistic coded, but on my second rewatch, I began to notice how he held himself apart from everyone else and how he was always that silent and steady presence near where we're Xian. He talked so little and when he had something important to say or when his emotions really overwhelmed him, that's when he spoke. The first time his autistic traits really made me notice was in the night hunt scene in episode two before the flashback. Jung Chong is trying to get a reaction from him by being as snide as possible, but here is Lam Wangji as a silent, extremely self-contained presence and doesn't even meet anyone's gaze. He just waits until the conflict is done before acting decisively and telling his disciples to stay safe. To me, it highlights a reluctance to indulge in unnecessary conflict, to only be verbal when it's safe, and most importantly, to stay true to your own principles, even if it's by remaining silent. I think these traits only become more and more obvious during the episodes post-flashback, where he is the silent protector who always stays true to his own personal ethics, irrespective of what the world is telling him those ethics should be. For me, it was that first rooftop scene. I could just feel it on a visceral level how irritated Lam Wanji was, this annoying person who was blatantly violating so many Lan clan principles. And then to hear this person saying, why are you so inflexible? And just Lam Wanji's expression, like you could feel the emotions that were raging in him while Wei Wuxian calls him unreasonable and pedantic. You know, that Wei Wuxian just doesn't respect the rules. And just from that moment, the light bulb went on and I said, yep, he's one of us. And it continues on then. <laughs> 
was Zichen telling him later on, hey, I think it's time for you to make some friends. And I kind of coughed and like laughed and said, oh, this sounds familiar. And after that, it was just the little things that added up, the sensory stuff, like, you know, I don't touch other people that he said at, at Beeling Lake and, you know, the way too crowded about the square at like Tanjau. And mostly it was just his entire being stood in opposition to the presumably neurotypical people around him. Like that depth of feeling and the sense of ethics were part of it, sure. But time and time again, we get examples of how he really is outside of others in his social circle. Like when you get the sense all the way through that when he's referred to as the peerless Hangwan Jun, it's not just because of his cultivation or his fighting skills or his academics or his sense of righteousness, but that literally he's without others who understand him, save for his closest family. And even then, it's obviously not always the case. When I first watched the show, I don't think I noticed how autistic coded he was, partially because it was my first C drama. Um, so I just spent a lot of time very confused about the aforementioned given courtesy and title names. And I was like, why are they calling this person three different things? I'm very like, it didn't make sense. And then it was later um, that I sort of really thought about it. Sometimes when you're autistic yourself, you just kind of look at these behaviors and you see them as normal because that's what they are to you. And then later on, I read the book and then I started reading and writing fan fiction and I really took the time to think about all of the characters. And then I realized how much the idea of him being autistic just fits for me. It wasn't so much like a single scene as all of his actions when viewed as a whole. He's quiet, but he speaks when he's around those he's comfortable with. He doesn't like to touch people with his people he cares about. There's just so many traits that other people have already said, and they're just they're all there. I had that same same experience with Suspicious Partner as you described. Like I, I it was only like the rewatch where I suddenly realized, okay, I actually resonate really with this character. So yeah, I see what you what do you mean? <laughs> yeah, it's really that. Uh, rule-abiding <laughs> disciple that he he really uh, brings out the autistic traits there. He knows every single one of those 3,000 land rules and he seems to stumble across each and every one in his journey to establish that strong inner core of justice. As an autistic person myself, rules are so important to me and I, I do see that reflected in Lam Wongji. But he had to find out in the hardest way possible that following one set of rules should not come at the expense of your own morals and ethics. I sometimes wonder if like maybe, you know, like the people who made up those rules were also autistic, because why would you put all those things in rules? Like, I'm sorry, but they went like really into detail. <laughs> Literally carved in stone. <laughs> It's a conspiracy. It's a conspiracy. The entire land plan is autistic. You heard it here first, guys. Okay. So, um, yeah, for me, um, this whole rule things and the um, that it shouldn't come at the expense of your own morals and ethics was kind of like a really great character arc. Um like and kind of the best character art you could give an autistic coded character like being almost obsessed with rules is often a very stereotypically autistic trait and we've discussed in other podcast episodes some of the reasons for that like reducing the amount of decisions that you have to make providing like a framework that reduces complexity and thereby overwhelm and it's often portrayed as a trait that makes autistic people inflexible which we also see in this series 
um, in the early episodes especially. But um, this series also shows us how this rule-obsessed person that doesn't seem to have any friends and isn't very social is an extremely loyal friend if he wants to be and how he eventually decides to kind of like leave the safety of the rules behind and how he decides that there is a person that is way more important and also because it's just the right thing to do. Yeah, he, you really do see him follow the rules very rigidly, especially in the Cloud Recess's study arc when he's still only a teenager. And I think that's something that many of us can identify with. It certainly is for me. It's not really until he sees the injustice that's done to Wei Wuzhan that he starts to recognize that perhaps not all of the rules are reasonable and just. This strong sense is just something I personally really identify with. It's really hard to go against what you've been taught for what you know is right, but Lamanji definitely does it, especially later in life. And watching him turn against the things he grew up believing as he finds his own sense of right and wrong really just stuck with me. Like, I really love that about him. I wonder if, like, part of why, um, you know, there was the 16-year gap was because autistic people hate change and they kind of, like, need time to process things. So he needed those 16 years to kind of, like, <laughs> figure it out. What do you mean you changed the detergent? I need 16 years for this. That is just the right amount of time. <laughs> Um, but another thought about the safety of rules to guide you, I just I just love that he finds refuge in quoting the land precepts when he needs to. Like so many of us, when we need help and we have to rely on our internal scripts to get through. Definitely. Lamonji definitely relies on that scripted speech. And also I've seen it mentioned, his reliance on idioms. Others who have more understanding on Chinese idioms have spoken about his use of these to convey as much information as possible in as short a period of time, which anyone who is autistic is like, yes, that is essential. Uh, the land rules definitely lend themselves to becoming a form of communication in and of themselves, what with there being 3,000 of them. And we definitely see Lan Wangji making use of this by telling where we stand at various points not to slouch, not to have more than three bowls of rice, that there is no alcohol permitted in cloud recesses, and that bedtime is at 9pm. This reliance on a set of rules that have framed his existence for so many years must be second nature to him and something that he can count on in times of emotional distress. For example, when he's around where we stand. Yeah, the bedtime at 9 p.m. It's it's past that here. So I'm I'm a terrible lan. I should have been, been in bed half an hour ago. <laughs> oh no. <laughs> um, but I, I think we can all identify with that to some degree. When things get stressful, it's really comforting to feel to sort of call back to familiar rules that you know and you understand and are like established. Yes, exactly. Mm. I tried to explain that to a friend recently. Um, when I like go to a cafe or something, I'm often overwhelmed because uh, they don't always in Germany have menus. So you're like, what do you have? I don't know. I need something to choose from. And I've just decided on a drink that I like semi like and that I know most cafes have. And I try to explain to her why when I panic, I just like order that drink, even if it's not actually what I want, just to like end the situation. And it was like, it's a really hard concept to grasp, I think, for neurotypical people. Just to, to have these rules and these guides in place to kind of like, yeah, save you. <laughs> 
I hadn't even thought about the fact that I do that too. Like I order the exact same drink <laughs> like all the time because I don't want to have to think. Mm -hmm. You know what to expect in all situations then. <laughs> so you noticed that in Clown Recess's era and afterward during their search for the yin iron, Lamongi is often very short with Werwisian. He really likes to use wor single words such as ridiculous and boring, usually when Werewisian is trying to get a reaction from him or is actually trying to become friends with him. To me, these exclamations reveal moments when he's unable to contain his emotions, but because his brain doesn't vibe with the spoken word, all we get are single words that, although they might seem mild to us, sound like expletives for him. His high emotions don't let him be more creative than that. For someone who's incredibly well-educated and probably has a huge vocabulary stored in his brain, this must be very frustrating to only have access to a small number of words, which probably increases his emotional turmoil, further locking his mind down. I imagine after a few encounters with Wei Wixian, he's probably had to come up with methods of communication just to save himself. So that means scripted responses are his best friend. What's interesting is that these scripted responses include Werewixian's name. Namulji uses Werewixian's personal name quite a lot, said in so many different terms that he's able to convey quite a lot of information and emotion into syllables. And yes, I did watch several TikToks recording Namulji every time he does say Weiyin in the show for research. <laughs> And um, as for his communication, we should absolutely talk about his echolalia. We see it really clearly during the love confession in the book, where he just echoes back every word that Wei Wuxian has said to him, rather than like coming up with his own confession. He's just so overwhelmed that he's just like, I'm just going to repeat back the same thing you said because I don't know what else to do. Um, and to me, it feels like the words weighing became something of a stim at some point to kind of cope with those big emotions. Yeah, definitely. By being able to listen to the change in the tones used when speaking Weixian's name in the further into the drama you go, it sounds like weighing is also something that is reassuring to him. So if he grasps hold of everything that embodies where we see in his lodestone, he'll get through this, particularly when the world is big and complicated and scary. Oh, absolutely. Um, oh, and what stayed with me the most for this? Um, I'm thinking of all the images in scenes of his devotion that just played out in front of us, like the cliff scene in episode 33 and his flogging for preventing others from entering the demon subdue palace. Um, and fighting his own clan in episode 42, and his declaration on the steps of Carp Tower that walking the single plank bridge until it's dark indeed isn't bad. Like even the image of him kneeling in the snow as a young child and waiting to see his mother and how he would continue to go to the Jingxi and wait there month after month. Like there's this quote from Wei Wuxian when he says, when everyone admired my power and wanted to flatter me, you were the only one who scolded me. But right now when everyone wishes I was dead, they hate me and cast me aside. You're the only one standing by my side. And I think this really encapsulates it. This unwavering steadfastness that he has that others don't. I mean, unless we want to argue that playing the long game for revenge, like Jin Gonyao or Ni Hwasang suffices, but I think that's a different thing altogether. And so we'll just we'll just set that aside. <laughs> so this loyalty has stayed with me 
um, from the first time I watched it. And it's this loyalty that transcends death and tests family connections and upends long-held beliefs. And it's a huge part of what made me love this character and keeps me coming back. It's always resonated for me, this quality of loyalty and believing in someone so strongly. And thank goodness Wei Wishen's worth it, though. Yeah. <laughs> and also, um, I feel like that's also a really scary thing as an autistic person to have that kind of like level of loyalty and believing. So the kind of the faith that La Wangji has in Wei Wuzhan is also really kind of inspiring in its own right, because that's a terrifying thing as an autistic person to be like, yes, I trust this person is going to like always follow the right path. And I know that I'm like, I'm going to stay by their side. It's really scary. But also that he hasn't moved on after those 16 years of not knowing if he's alive or not, or basically being more or less convinced that he isn't. I don't know, just like, you know, like still holding a torch for him. Yeah, it's really such a big thing. If we look at how that loyalty developed, we can see that Lamonji really had to struggle through a lot to get there. Like Wei Wuxian said, when everyone admired and flattered him, Lan Wangji scolded him, much of which probably derived from his rigidity. Lan Wangji had been bound by his rules so much and his own belief of what path he had to take that being confronted by an alternate path to the same end really must have destabilised him. And yet by spending so much time with Wei Wuxian, seeing how powerful Wei Wuxian's beliefs were, he really was able to adapt. Change can be pretty scary for an autistic person, and he changed a lot. Mm, yeah, I couldn't agree more. And here we're kind of like back with the whole prejudice against autistic people that they don't feel emotions because this loyalty just shows how incredibly deep his feelings really are. And that is what really struck me with the character. This it's kind of like this whole double empathy problem we always go on about in this pod, which basically just means that neurotypical people misunderstanding autistic and other neurodivergent people is just that, a disconnect in communication. Both sides struggle to understand the other side. And with Lang Wanji, we had this perfect example of his seeming lack of expression, speed in speech or in his face. And I kind of just hope that just like Wei Wuxian learned um, that NT people watching this series over time also learn to read him better because although on the surface he looked like he didn't really say anything or he didn't really show any emotion if you can actually attune to it there's so much expression in his words like we said earlier and his eyes and in his actions and I just really applaud the understanding the writer and the actor must have had of this character to kind of like portray it in such a consistent and nuanced way and to just like really bring it across um like, I don't know, I think one of one of my favorite scenes were like the maybe five smiles we got from him in like the whole 50 episodes. And they were all for Wei Wuxian and they were all so incredibly meaningful and like made me so happy. <laughs> I think all of my favorite scenes involve the one of the smiles because it's just like you, there's it's such a tiny smile as well. But you just see his whole expression soften. And it's I really love that. It's just it's amazing. Mm. Yeah. Okay. So what were some aspects of the depiction that you thought were done really well that um, Wang Yibo absolutely nailed or were there any that you felt were a bit off or any that you thought could have been handled better or that you had that you wish had been better addressed? 
Um, it's the obvious one, and you already hinted at it, and the reviewers have commented on too, um, how he managed to convey depths of emotion with the most micro changes to his expression and using his eyes to do this. And Lama Ji's appearance is canon. Like there's that line from the novel when Lama Ji says to Wei Wuxian, the face doesn't show anything, listen to the heartbeats. And yes, the context in that scene is that Longwa Ji doesn't act like others when he's been drinking and he doesn't blush or appear intoxicated like other people. But I think it's a good analogy that in his daily life, in various situations, he does not express himself as others do. Like in the temple scene in episode 47, Wei Wuxian's explaining to Xu Sha that like that Wanji has this indifferent expression for everyone, not just him in particular. Although I guess he's not noticing how Wanji's looking at him. <laughs> 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 Personally, I adore Wang Yibo's depiction of Long Wangji. I think it's perfect casting. Uh, Ibo has actually revealed in a past interview that he has ADHD, and he's also pretty shy unless he's around people he's really comfortable with. So I think he probably sought some element of that part of Long Wangji's character from within himself. However, when you think about how expressive he is with wide, dramatic facial expressions that fans often turn into memes, it's amazing that he managed to control his features to those perfect micro-expressions. Especially if you watch some of the behind-the-scenes footage and watch him swap from, like, Wang Yibo to La Wangji, back to Wang Yibo, and it's, it's so clear-cut where the snap is of... In character, out of character, in character. It's it's very cool. Mm. I think that's why, you know, like I really love about this depiction that it's so consistent that he like, you know, like consistently managed to keep ex his expression neutral because that really is not uh, an easy fate. It really isn't. I I do agree. Wang Yibo did a wonderful job at depicting Lan Wangji. His ability to emote while saying very little, if anything, and using the smallest expressions is such a talent. I'm, I'm really in awe of that. And one of my favourite things to do during my re-watches is to track the progression of his expressions throughout the episodes, from the tension in his face, from anger, to the very soft and gentle smile at the end when he looks at Wei Wixian and Lan Sijui, the expression of a man who sees his whole world in front of him. That little soft smile is like one of my favorite screenshots from the entire show. Just it's, I love it. It's so beautiful. It's beautiful. So that covers the actor aspect of it. As an autistic coded character from the writing side, there isn't a lot that springs to mind. I think we've remarked in other dramas that we wish we'd see the toll of being autistic in the everyday world better represented. Like we see the surface traits and the quirkiness and the sensory struggles, but to see an autistic coded character trying to find a balance in their daily life, it's not depicted often. Like, yeah, no Jiuk and suspicious partner, the exception, of course. So in many ways, Cloud Recesses is the ideal place for a young autistic Wanji, a place of peace and predictability where he was able to recharge and regulate himself. But more on that when we get to our discussion about Cloud Recesses. I think for this kind of fantasy genre drama, it's a bit difficult too to say we miss certain aspects of the struggle that can come with being autistic, but it's kind of difficult to compare the world in the drama with real life. Like you say, in the circumstances, of his life being of like a higher class as a cultivator um, where like a certain amount of aloofness or arrogance as other people will probably understand his behavior 
might just be attributed to that class or status. And the way he lives in his case was kind of like perfect for an autistic person. So like everything that we saw kind of like matched with that. And within the story and the life they set for him, I kind of didn't really think there was anything the story commanded to be shown for it to make sense as like an autistic character. Like we had it in Extraordinary Attorney Wu where just due to the pressures of her job, they should have kind of shown how she recharges and deals with that stress so that the character, the autistic character, kind of like makes sense as an autistic person. But because uh, Lan Wanji kind of like lives in this world that's kind of like perfect for him, that doesn't really arise. One thing I do wish we'd seen is Lan Wanji being more talkative in private scenes um, in the novel, his actual words are very rarely written, but he does have lines where it says, Lan Wangji went on to explain things to Wei Wuzhan and sort of fill in the blanks between his death and resurrection. And it would have been really nice to see the way that he lets his guard down more around Wei Wuzhan or around his brother and sort of speaks more openly rather than just going, mm, and Wei Ying. <laughs> yeah, 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 no, that's right. While it was nice to see that kind of like Wei Wuxian kind of like understood him without much communication, it would have still been nice to have some communication. <laughs> Definitely. And I, I think the script, taking into account the limitations from censorship, uh, the team or the script that the team presented for Lam Wanji's character was really a, a great balance that worked with both Wang Yibo's strengths and the material in the original novel. Many people in the fandom actually think that Lang Wanji is not the only neurodivergent character in this story, but have argued that Wei Wuxian actually has ADHD or is ADHD coded. So since we recently did a podcast on ADHD, um, I'd like to know, do you guys agree with this? Oh, absolutely. And I like that there's so many people in the fandom who headcanon Wei Wuxian is having ADHD. And I know, Francie, as we were watching the lecture scenes in Cloud Recesses in episode three, and we're messaging each other about like, oh, just a bit of trouble focusing. Oh, yeah. and, and <laughs> it's like, you know, having trouble with the lectures and yeah, all the shenanigans that he's getting up to. And I did one of those online self quizzes, like, you know, could I have ADHD? And I answered as if I was Wei Wuxian. And I think I got about 90% probability. And so just looking at the possible list of traits in adults, you know, the forgetfulness and the impulsivity and the disorganization, uh -huh. difficulty focusing on tasks, restlessness, risk-taking, excessive talking. Wow, a lot of this really sounds familiar. Um, I'd have to also add in the whole creativity and brilliance, the hyper-focus, the resilience and the innovation. And yeah, so much of this sounds like our way we should. I can absolutely read where Jean is having ADHD. He's disorganized and chaotic, which is described aptly in the book when Long Ji first visits the burial mounds and they describe the demon subdued palace cave, which is where Jean basically lives at that point, as having flags, sabers, boxes, blood tattered bandages, and unfinished fruits littering every surface. Even in the show, we see scattered talisman papers all across his makeshift desk. There's even a scene where he explodes one of his inventions, which always makes me laugh. He just kind of like goes for it and thinks about the consequences later, which, damn, if that isn't ADHD. 
he really does take the Jung motto to heart, which is attempt the impossible. And to me, that's such an ADHD motto. There's nothing like a challenge to motivate someone with ADHD to do something. There's also the way that like he flits from one thing to the next, as we see in the scenes in the marketplace in Sai Town. Um, but also he like hyperfixates for so long on problems that he forgets to eat and sleep, which I absolutely identify with. Part of what I believe attracts Lama Ji to Wei Wishan is that he doesn't think like everyone else. And I mean, we have the scroll thrown at his head by Lan Chi when he hears about Wei Wishan's fourth path of using resentment as proof of that early on, you know. And Lama Ji sees that he is unconventional. And although you might deride him at first, over time during those first episodes, he not only recognizes Wei Wishan's skills in fighting, not just with him on the rooftop, but also at Biling Lake. He also discerns that, wow, like this guy is intelligent and he's bold and he's analytical and he sees things others miss. And I think for Wei Wishan as well, it went beyond just trying to annoy this fuddy-duddy stick in the mud for kicks. But he sees an intellect equal to his own and real skills and a similar set of ethics. And then by episode eight, like he's just a goner. <laughs> it took that long. <laughs> I think I saw where we see him as ADHD sooner than I saw that Wangji is autistic. Uh, I, I see many of those traits in him, including everything that we've mentioned before, such as poor impulse control, a famously bad memory, and his lightning fast mind. Look at how he invented a new cultivation method in three months while he was in burial mounds. He's always thinking 10 steps ahead of everyone else and absolutely cannot stop himself from showing that. If Wewishin has a thought, then everyone else is going to know about it. Jin Guanyao actually describes him as the untamed hero in a way that isn't complimentary and that it is only a matter of time before public opinion swung against him. And I think a lot of ADHDs can really empathise with this. Speaking up for things that the majority support is pretty easy, but speaking up for something that only the minority support can be much more difficult. And I also feel for him growing up with his ADHD under Madame Yu, and that would have just made his life hellish. Well, we kind of already know that it was. And I think that he does reflect upon himself and internalize it and recognize that, yeah, perhaps he was a bit much for others sometimes. There's that quote from Zhang Yin's visit to the burial mounds that echoes the one you mentioned. And it's when you're standing on their side, you're the bizarre genius, the miraculous hero, the force of the rebellion, the flower that blooms alone. But the second your voice differs from theirs, you've lost your mind, you've ignored morality, you've walked the crooked path. So others saw him this way. And yet others like Wan Ji and Jiang Wan Yin recognized the situation and Wei Wishen didn't pay much heed to it. I felt like when Kay was describing Wei Wujian's ADHD, it was just like a checklist calling me out just then. I was like, mmm, oh dear. <laughs> but um, I think any of us with ADHD can identify with this. I have absolutely had the experience where when I'm on someone's side, I'm viewed really positively. And then the second I say something they disagree with, suddenly I'm a problem. And I think both my autism and my ADHD play into that a lot. People kind of admire those traits in me, as long as I'm still doing what they think I should be doing. I can imagine Wei Rajan would have found this frustrating to some degree, 
if he'd had the time to really look at his own feelings rather than just being in a constant state of survival following the fall of Lotus Pier. Is a lot of agreement in neurodivergent communities that ADHD autistic friendships are something very special. And it's something that often seems to puzzle people because the most stereotypical traits seem to be opposites to each other. But personally, I think these two characters are just a perfect example of why it just works somehow, How, however it, do, it does, but it just works. So does anyone want to talk about how they think that these combined neurodivergencies of those two characters interact in their relationship as we see it in this drama? There's that Venn diagram that's um, online in various sources of overlapping ADHD and autism traits as a possible explanation for why we see so many commonalities in our neurokin. And many of us are ADHD as well, like have both autism and ADHD. Um, there are examples in this series where they do complement each other. Lama Ji remembers the things that Wei Wuxian has forgotten. Wei Wuxian small talks and charms information out of various people during their investigations, and they seem to balance each other out well, and it works for them. And so the author herself said about these two characters in an interview in 2023, Longwenji has always maintained a cold and silent appearance, but in truth, since his teenage years, he was already enraptured by Wei Wuxian. I think that deep in his heart, he's filled with yearning for the kind of freedom Wei Wuxian inhabits so easily. Furthermore, these two people are deeply similar at the core of their personality. At the core of who they are, they are the same kind of person. This is also one big reason why they come to love each other so deeply. And yes, I think that's true. I always feel emotional when I think about these two people, two neurodivergent characters finding each other and being able to love each other so freely. It makes it even more poignant as we watch where we Sin's character grow and develop through the episodes with post-flashback where we Sin observing that he really was annoying and prone to loudly speaking his mind, even when no one asked. He feels that his poor impulse control really had been obnoxious for everyone around him, including to Lam Wang-Chi. And yet here he is at the end of the show with Lam Wang-Chi being the only one to stand by him. And they really do complement each other in this amazing way, like uh, Jay said about, um, like, Wei Wuzhan will do the talking, but Lam Wang-Chi will do the remembering. And... I think every autistic needs their their ADHD um, like emotional support person who can be there to speak for us when we don't want to do it. But also every ADHD person need, needs an autistic person to provide the routine and to kind of like remind them of appointments and things like that. And remind them to eat and remind them to sleep and remind them to drink. Yeah, all those things. I was going to say, you guys have basically described my my life because um i'm autistic my husband has adhd and yeah we've been together for 30 years as of the end of this month and um wow this is exactly our dynamic this is kind of how we how we get around in the world and how we you know our daily lives this is it one of us is kind of like taking on all these tasks and one of the others taking on all the other tasks and I mean, you know, it's it's kind of the joke that he's he actually is like the person that has to like call tech support and has to like call any government agency or has to call anyone. He has to do all the phone calls because, you know, he just he knows over the years that, you know, he has to do that side of things. And meanwhile, I'm the organizer schedule reminder 
yeah, all that kind of stuff. So that's how it works. <laughs> in in a modern alternate universe, it would absolutely be Wei Rijan like phoning to make all the doctor's appointments and calling tech support. Like there's no way. You cannot convince me that Lan Wangji ever makes a phone call. He will do a text if he has to. And even then it's very questionable. <laughs> it's a very good seamless relationship. <laughs> Is there a fic about this? <laughs> <laughs> there are so many modern fics where I feel like you just see Lan Wangji just refusing to reply to texts with more than mm, or okay. Or a thumbs yeah. up. <laughs> okay, so we're actually planning to do a separate podcast on autistic and ADHD friendships and partnerships in Asian drama. So we're probably going to revisit that topic in that podcast. So um, yeah, look forward to that. So that's the end of part one. When it comes to these characters, we have a lot to say. So we're going to cut this in half and part two is going to be coming very soon. We'll see you guys then. Bye. <laughs> Goodbye for now. See you next week. Bye for now. Thank you for listening. We hope you've enjoyed our pod. Follow us on our Instagram at AfternoonerAsks or our website www.AfternoonerAsks.com. To get more K-drama content from a writer's lens, follow our sister pod, Afternoon Delight. For any BTS fans out there, our other sister pod, Afternoon Army, is here for all your needs. If you want to hang with us and other K-drama fans, do consider joining us on Afternoon Delight Patreon. There are different levels for you to access. Go to www.afternoonadelightpodcast.com to sign up. Finally, if you have any questions for us, please feel free to contact us via our socials or our email, afternoonerasks at gmail.com. We look forward to hearing from you. Until next time, see you next time.